This podcast is part of the Telerik Developer Network. Telerik, a progress company. Hello and welcome to Eat Sleep Code, the official Telerik podcast. I'm your host, Ed Charbonneau, and with me today is Brad Green. Hi, Brad. Hey, good morning. And Todd Motto is also joining us. Hey, Todd. Hey, good evening. <laughs> uh, I've brought these folks on the show today to talk about Angular 2. Brad Green is here from Google. Uh, Brad, why don't you go ahead and let folks know what you do at Google and what you work on with Angular 2. Yeah, so I'm an engineering director here at Google, and I've been working on the Angular project for the past almost six years now, and was one of the project originators along with Mishko Hevery and some other folks. And um, we're excited to roll out Angular 2. We're in beta now, and we're getting towards final not too long. And we also have Todd with us. Todd, give us a quick intro. We just had you on the show last week, but folks tuning in for the first time might not know who you are. It feels like my new home, this podcast. Yeah, so um, I am a recent addition to the Telerik team. I'm a developer advocate over uh, in a, in Le- near London um, in England, so um, hence the accent. So I cover the, uh, the European side of things. And today we're going to discuss uh, Angular 2 in detail. And um, we're going to kick things off with... Uh, some of the tools that you use to build Angular 2, because things are changing in that regard, uh, especially with uh, the introduction of TypeScript in uh, some of the CLI and whatnot. Uh, Brad, you want to give us some info on what the new tooling is like? Yeah, so there's actually a, a couple different things. And you know, if, if you're in any sort of modern web framework, whether it be Angular or Ember or React or any of them, most of them you know, come with some help for starting with some kind of language transpiler, be it uh, Babel or TypeScript or, or something else. And usually what folks want out of this is an upgrade to the latest JavaScript and the ability to use that in current browsers and older browsers through translation. Um, and so, so Ang- Angular actually supports like straight ES5, uh, ES6 through Babel or TypeScript, and, and the TypeScript with the typings on top of on top of JavaScript. Now, this is just one of the tools that, that people may want to use because, you know, if you have any sizable project, you're going to need some sort of task runner like Gulp, and you're going to need some kind of CSS processor. And, you know, all of these things take time to download and configure and make sure that you can deploy from it. And so for this reason, we, we've started a command line interface project. We call it the Angular CLI. And our intention is that it's in a very ready state by the time we come out with Angular 2 final, although you you can go check it out now. And one thing I I find uh, really refreshing about the Angular uh, tooling is that you're working along with other companies uh, such as ourselves and Microsoft because, you know, TypeScript is is a Microsoft thing that you guys have adopted. I think that's really cool to see. you know, two two big companies like that reaching across uh, and working together on something like Angular 2. Yeah, we so we originally kind of were building our own type system on top of uh, on on top of a, a Google transpiler that uh, that we built this this pseudo language called AtScript, and it was about that time TypeScript was starting to get big, and somehow we found each other. 
And we worked with the TypeScript team. They actually built in all the features that we wanted that were sort of a delta from TypeScript. And it's been it's been a great partnership. Uh, and you can you can see it, I think, in our community. It's in Angular 2, when we survey folks, it's the most popular thing that's the thing that people most say that they're going to target in their new development in Angular 2, um, second by ES6 through one of the transpilers that does that. What are some of the benefits that you get from using TypeScript? So, so we, you know, it's funny, we, we were in kind of the, the untyped camp for a long time. A lot of our folks came from the Java background and had a bad experience with having to satisfy the compiler by putting types on everything. And so we, we really kind of in the, oh, well, we, we don't need types. We don't need no stinking types. Um, and, and then we, we got to using them in TypeScript, and we had a very different experience than we had in Java. And then nothing wrong with Java. Like, there's a lot of great positives to it. But sometimes, like, you end up having to, like, if you have a typing system, it ends up meaning you have to type a lot uh, at the keyboard. But TypeScript is this optional thing where you, you don't have to add them everywhere. And whenever you add them, they actually give you a lot of leverage in the IDE and, and in other tooling where they will, first of all, find bugs for you. And we, we actually found several bugs in the Angular system. And uh, we, we were kind of surprised because we very high levels of unit tests. And yet we found, found stuff. Another secondary benefit that we were kind of a little surprised about is, is our team felt that they understood the code base better because the types give you a really nice way to traverse and understand where the dependencies lie because they're specified explicitly. And with the IDE help, they, they allow you to jump around through the source code really, really quickly without any searching. Um, and and then, then we get a lot of the things that you get from, again, with the IDEs, and other tools that you get from other type languages like like really solid refactoring and ability to see the documentation for any class and um, ability to, to jump through to, to source definitions and fun things like that. And I'm assuming this, this helps a lot with uh, things like ES5, ES6, and the future of JavaScript where you can, you can kind of go up a level and not break backwards compatibility with folks. Yeah, that's right. So, so the, I mean, the thing that's I think really not obvious is that all of your ES6, all, all of your ES, your today's JavaScript, it works in an ES6 transpiler because ES6 is a superset of ES5, and all of that code works in a TypeScript transpiler because TypeScript is a superset of HTML5 and HTML6. So, all the things you already know work, and you can just add things like ES6 classes and the fat arrow syntax and spread operator and all those, those fun things a little at a time. And similarly with typings, you can add types a little at a time and get those benefits incrementally, which is, which is very different from other language ecosystems. I think it's this really interesting thing that's going on in JavaScript right now. Now we're talking about, you know, uh, increasing the benefits of the building side of things and the performance of the developer. Uh, what are the, some of the things that we get out of the box um, that help us with performance in Angular 2 on the application side? Ah, yes. Well, this is one of the primary goals of Angular 2, that we would really nail the performance story um, in a way that I think we've never seen on the web before. And and so we, we've, we've redone everything for the core, and you know there were some... We have some struggles in Angular 1, and there's a lot of things you can do to make Angular 1 applications fast. But it's kind of on you. 
And, and we wanted to make things fast by default out of the box. And so we, we looked at a couple of the, the scenarios, and there's, there's no just one scenario in the world of performance. You, you don't get to be fast by doing one thing. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of carve it into maybe a couple buckets. So one is how fast can I render that first view? And for that, we have worked with some of our partners to build the server-side rendering story, where in Node, we can actually run the whole Angular, and we've decoupled Angular from the rendering environment, so we can actually render it without a browser, generate all of the HTML and CSS, combine it with the data that you have on the back end, and then just ship down that HTML CSS view and not have to wait for the application or the framework to load. And so users can see their first view of the application, start consuming it, start actually interacting with it while the app is downloading. When the app is fully engaged or sort of woken up, we, we will replay those events that, you know, if a user's been typing or scrolling or whatever they're doing to the UI, we replay them to the application so that they can uh, do, do the mutations on the data as, as they expected. So that's, that's phase, phase one. Then, do you have a question? Sorry. I was just going to say, from from my point of view, that's actually a really big deal because uh, what you're talking about is tackling the issue of uh, having a blank page when you start your app up and then waiting yeah. for all those JavaScripts to, to load and parse before you actually see an interactive application. So what you're saying yeah. is you're doing server-side rendering to uh, eliminate that while keeping the client-side interactivity as well. That's right. You know, it's 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 great for the desktop, desktop, but it's critical on 2G. If you've got a really thin pipe, you 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 definitely need this. And, and then for SEO, and if you've got if you want to have like application preview uh, scenarios, like if you want to have a you know like Twitter can give you a, a little app preview or Facebook um, to show what your what your screen's like. They they want to interact with a static view of your app and not have they don't want to run a, a JavaScript engine. So, so we've we've done we've done that in Node. We're actually working with the Drupal team on building this for PHP, so we can run it inside their environment. We would like to build it out for for many more server-side environments for Java, Ruby, Python, and you know we're looking for partners to help us on some of these things. But some early talks with some of them. So, so then a after the server-side pre-rendering pre happens, the question is, how fast can we compile the template and run it? And then how fast can we do deltas, changes to the application as it's in its running state? And so the, the thing that we're doing for the compilation is, you know, in Angular 1, we, we would load your HTML template with the Angular markup, and then we would sort of interpret it. And in Angular 2, um, to make this way faster, we've got a, a version of it that we're almost ready to release, where we actually just compile the code for this as part of a build step. And so this has two, two effects. One is it's dramatically faster. It's incredibly fast. Um, it's like you know, the difference between an interpreter and a compiled language. Um, and we actually, we actually get to generate JavaScript that can be inlined by the virtual machine. And this can be the difference between something that runs uh, uh, slowly and something that runs like 50 to 60 times faster than that slowly category. Um, the other effect is that it, Angular gets much smaller. We're actually doing code generation not just for the compilation, but for dependency injection and change detection 
and for our uh, uh, expression parsing. So we get to not only make all of that super fast, but make drop all of those pieces of the framework so you don't have to download them um, as, as part of your, your application startup time. Then, then the last thing we did was for the, the change detection strategies that we, that we work on in Angular. Um, and this is one of the things I think we, we became famous for is that you can use you know, plain old JavaScript objects. You don't have to subclass from anything. Uh, and we made that 10 times faster in Angular 2 than in Angular 1. In we, and for scalability to very, very large data sets, we have what's called push model. And push model allows you as the developer to just tell us when something's changed so we don't even have to check, so even faster than 10x. Or if you're using observables or immutable JS or some other sort of you know, uh, model that would allow us to know when things have changed, we will automatically only update things in your model that's changed. So, so this, again, dramatically improves the speed, but, but scalability. So you can, like, it's not related to the size of your document, any, document anymore. It's only related to the size of how many pieces of data are changing in your model. So you're, when you're referring to some of the uh, change detection uh, technology, um, one thing that comes to mind is people talk about the virtual DOM with React. Is that a similar concept then? A little bit. So actually, so React, they, they made this virtual DOM technique popular, and it, and it has a lot of nice properties. Um, but the, your application scalability in, in any virtual DOM system will be limited by the size of your document because it's proportional. So it's, it'll be this thing where, oh, yeah, it seems fast until your app gets very large, and then there'll be kind of nothing you can do about making it faster. And at Angular, on the other hand, you can have as large a document as you want and when we build our data models, we actually map, we, we do a map between the data that you have coming back from the database or generating it yourself and the DOM element that it maps to. And so we don't have to diff the DOM, we only have to diff the data model. And this is the equivalent of like doing a whole bunch of string comparisons versus just comparing a couple pointers. It's, in, it's incredibly faster, incredibly much faster at the machine level. Um, and with the push model that I just mentioned, there's just drops most of the work away, and there's almost nothing for us to do. So you can think of like, uh, it, you know, there's, there's, there's the DOM diffing, which is like I diff the whole document, and then there's model diffing, which is kind of what Angular does. And I, like, we only have to know about which, which little bits of data have changed since the last refresh. And I also noticed, uh, looking at some of the documentation, you guys <clears throat> have support for web workers in there as well. Is that correct? We do. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this was interesting. This was an intern project. We, we weren't sure if this would have any good results. And, it, and it, it's been way, way beyond our, our expectations. Um, it, and the, the idea is that m most machines, even most mobile devices in um, emerging markets, have multiple cores on them. But JavaScript is a single-threaded environment where we use this sort of asynchronous uh, event queue as a way to process multiple streams of things coming in, like typing and moving the mouse and all those good things. And, 
And, but you can take advantage of another core through this web feature, the web platform feature called Web Workers. And nobody does, however, because it's very hard. In, from the Web Worker, you don't have access to the DOM or a lot of the, you know, the window properties, things that you'd want to get at to do real work. Now, Angular, Angular 2 provides this abstraction layer that you can talk to Angular and get at all of those features. But if you configure the bootstrapping in Angular, say, please use a web worker, then we'll move most of Angular and all of your code into a web worker. It can run off the UI thread, and you can make sure that UI thread remains as responsive as it can, 60 frames per second, you know, never slows down in scrolling. And you can be doing as, as heavy lifting as you need to be, you know, either you know, processing data coming back from the server or doing garbage collection or, or what have you. And the user will never know. Um, the, the nice thing about the way we do web applications is it's this event-based model. And so we've just moved the, the sort of source and sync of the event consumption to the other side of this, uh, this web worker. And we handle all the communication between the UI thread and the web worker thread on, on behalf of the developer. So a lot less work for people to do. So all these things add up to an uh, application that has more of a native type of experience. And speaking of native experiences, uh, Angular 2 isn't just for the web anymore, right? You can actually use Angular in node-based applications. Uh, one example right. might be uh, Telerik's native script. Uh, I know your engineering team and ours is actually working on some implementations there. Yes. So, so we, we, we've been working with your, your native script team for quite a while. And so when, when I mentioned that we've decoupled the rendering layer from Angular, where we can render in Node.js or on the other side of a web worker, um, we, you know, we, can, we, we worked with you to replace Angular's renderer with the native UI on iOS and Android, and you use the Telerix one. Now, we also worked with you guys to replace the templating language. Like, we can now use, uh, like, from because of the work you guys have done, Angular developers can use Telerik's templating language to describe the way the application will work. And, uh, you know, I think this gives the Angular platform a, a lot of growth potential with, without us having to make any other core changes. People often ask, well, will there, you're doing Angular 2 now, will there be an Angular 3? And this is one of the reasons I say, well, maybe not, just because we have this capability to replace, you know, renderers and template languages uh, without making core changes to the framework. And so, with, you know, nice, nice partnerships like this, we can go to a lot of different platforms. Yeah, because na um, uh, NativeScript uses XML. So, yeah. That's right. Being able to switch out that template allows you to transition from HTML to XML, which yep, is exactly. really interesting uh, to have it pluggable in that way. It's really extensible. Yeah, that's, that's the plan. Uh, this could actually lead us to building other types of applications as well, like uh, desktop and uh, mobile web and whatnot. Yes. So, so I think what, this is another interesting thing that we've started to prove out where, you know, like we can move Angular to the other side of the web worker, if you, if you build an application using Electron from GitHub, which is the way people build like the Atom editor, uh, 
Uh, Slack builds their desktop client this way. We can do the special thing with Angular where we move, again, Angular into uh, out of Chrome, which is the way you do rendering in these, in these apps. And we can move it into the node process, which again gives your UI incredible scalability, like you can remain always responsive. But it also allows developers to directly get at the desktop local services. So you can do things like, you know, do native Windows authentication. You can talk to the database directly from your services. You don't, um, you, you don't have to, you know, go through HTTP. Um, and you could even talk to hardware. So if you want to build, you know, sort of medical devices or, or other sort of sampling things using the same thing you invested in for learning the web and for, for mobile, um, now you can, you can build all these things for desktop in the same way. So Todd, you've been an Angular developer for a while. Um, what are your thoughts about transitioning from Angular 1 to Angular 2? Uh, have you tried any like demos or anything to see what it's like and, and what the process would be like? Yeah, so I had a um, couple of questions lined up um, for Brad. So um, I think throughout the past, well, however long since React has been alive, it's kind of been a, a head-to-head. Um, and this isn't specifically an upgrade sort of question. Um, so people will say, okay, we use Angular 1 or you use React and um, React Router and all this kind of stuff and Flux. But I think if somebody sort of stood in an elevator with you and sort of said, okay, well, should I go down the React route or should I go down the Angular 2 route? I think how would you kind of sum up to people? Because I watched your um, the Fluent talk that you, did, that you gave and I think if uh, the React community kind of had a, had a glimpse of that, they would kind of go, oh, okay, we, we need to do some catching up now. And I think Angular 2 had some catching up to do with React at one point, uh, but now it's accelerated far ahead. So what, were, what are kind of the main advantages for like uh, not going with React and going with Angular 2 and all its additional features? Um, yeah, so, so first of all, like, I, I consider the React guys to be my friends, and they're very sharp and nice, nice fellows over there. So I don't want to throw them under the bus too much, um, <laughs> but <laughs> too much. <laughs> uh, it, it's they're kind of different things, and I agree. Like you know, Angular One was the first mover. Uh, you know, React leapfrogged it in Angular Two. We get a chance to look at what's going on throughout the industry. React and other other frameworks leapfrog those things, uh, which which is good. You know, users get to benefit from this this sort of this sort of learning, and. I, you know, they're different things, right? React is just the renderer portion. Now, if you if you consider the whole of like, you know, with a flex style architecture, if you consider those those things together, um, those those actually those parts aren't different. Like we talked a little bit about the difference in Angular's renderer, why why we can do less work and it could be more scalable. Um, they uh, like the Flux architecture is actually fairly nice, and and you can use it with Angular. It, it actually works very well with Angular two. It's a little bit hard with Angular one. Yeah, with Redux. Uh, so this is yeah Redux. There's so we're very excited about this functional programming tool called Observables, which is slated to be a, a standard in uh, some future future version of JavaScript. Um, because what it what it lets us do is have a standard way to process streams of events, and for and actually 
have a much more robust experience on the web uh, and for, for native, like with, with, uh, with NativeScript. Because what you can do is, is unlike in, in the techniques we have with promises, you can, for a, a data stream coming back from the server, you can say, hey, uh, the user actually did something else. Let me cancel that so we can you know, lower the performance requirement. Or uh, this connection seems flaky. Let me do a retry on that. And there's, there's really no good ways to do this in JavaScript currently. And, and you know, we're just kind of, we kind of live with it on the web. We're just like, ah, it didn't work out. Just reload the page. But on the mobile experience, like, users don't have to deal with that because they have ways to professionally to deal with the error conditions and, and the unexpected cases. So we're excited about, about that part. And we've, uh, one of the guys on our team, Rob Wormald, has built a sort of flux-style architecture on top of these observables. And so you get the benefits of both of these in, in an architecture that's kind of specifically tailored for Angular. Although you, you could take advantage of it in React also if you were in the React camp of folks. Is that the, um, think, but, well, I was going to say, was that was Rob's project, the NGRX one? NGRX, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, a couple other differences. Um, so what one is the, like the templating language that we build is, it's just HTML. And so that means you can use it in any HTML tool that exists. And so if you've got, uh, and it's also nice because it's declarative. So if you've got, uh, say, designers on your team or tests, like, like integration test specific folks on your team who may not be able to understand the intricacies of the way you've designed your JavaScript, they can just look at the template and they can actually uh, reason about it because it is declarative. It's like the difference between saying center this item on the page versus in script, I would have to say, well, find the height and the width and divide by two. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's just a lot easier to follow a declarative language. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's much more inclusive for multiple roles in a team. So maybe more appropriate for bigger teams. Um, last difference is, you know, the, the Angular team is, you know, we've got very big customers here at Google who need uh, globally accessible software. So, so we have, we're building uh, internationalization and localization into the Angular framework itself, and we'll make sure it works. You can do this in other frameworks, but usually it comes, it, like there are multiple flavors for you to pick from. And similarly, we're building our own router that is built end-to-end -to, -end to work with Angular and you know, automatically do lazy lo code loading for you and work very well and integrated. Um, we're building an animations library that, again, is specific to Angular. We're, we, you know, we build the, um, all, of, all of this rich tooling, working with the TypeScript team to, to build it in. So end-to-end, -end, it's, it's hard to find a more complete environment that we're building in Angular 2. There's a lot of work to do. <laughs> Well, um, yeah. so sort of, I mean, I won't pass to you on exact dates that you've got projected, but um, let's let's assume that uh, Angular two goes live uh, in the in the near future. What um, what are the plans sort of beyond that? What have we got to look forward to uh, post release? Ah, yeah, there's it's funny. We we did this um, offsite uh, a couple weeks ago. We all went into the uh, down to the coast and talked about big ideas because you know, I, I wanted this for our team too so that you know, we weren't just looking at the, the uh, release of Angular 2 as, as, well, what do we do after that? Um, <laughs> there's actually a lot of enthusiasm 
on the team for this this one topic, which I would call kind of like making Angular 2 an evergreen experience. So we, well, I'll describe what that is. We, we don't have it all figured out, but internally at Google, we are responsible for actually upgrading all of the applications that rely on Angular. And so this is so when we have new releases, we you know, bring that release into Google, and then we actually have to make sure nothing breaks for everybody else. And so we have to upgrade them and work with them to make sure things upgrade. There's a lot of stress on us. And so we've been looking at how could we just auto-upgrade these things through scripts, because you know, it's, I don't know, a third of Google's software developers' front ends work on Angular. And it would be very nice if we could just automate this process. And if we can automate it internally, well, why couldn't we automate it externally for people who use you know, our, our statically analyzable templates and TypeScript where we have a lot of rich information about the intention of your application? When new versions of Angular come down, we would love to deliver them with the script that just auto-upgrades them so that it's little to no stress when, when there are upgrades. And even if there's breaking changes, we want developers saying, like, absolutely, let's just go. Like, we, we, do, we won't see people lagging multiple versions behind. And if there, even, if there ever were an Angular 3, then they say, yeah, no big deal. I'll just I'll run my upgrade script and, and get that. Is this sort of upgrades on an AST level, like Facebook do? Or That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Is there um, something that the CLI is aiming to facilitate? Yeah, and we'd, we'd actually like to solve things a little bit beyond the CLI. And I think, like, we're building CLI as a specific thing for Angular, but, like, we actually feel like there's this, – this is something that could be solved globally for – uh, all of the frameworks, and uh, just generally as a web build environment, because they're they're not really unique problems, and so we're we're actually really interested in partnering with our other framework friends on building something that could work for everyone, um, ma making it fast, reusing build artifacts. How do we make it, you know, zero configuration, uh, incredibly reliable, very fast, and something that like the whole community could build on together. Wow, this is very interesting. Um, I know our our native script uh, has its own CLI as well. Um, is there any discussion with our group on CLI activities? Yes, yes, we've we've talked about integrating the the two, and I think there's no reason not to. Um, it, we 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 need to have probably another couple discussions about it about how to do that bridging. But I, but I, yes, I think the idea would be like this this uh, very lofty vision I just painted. Like this would be something that we could all get together on. Anybody building JavaScript, whether it be for native deployments like NativeScript or for web build targets or desktop build targets, we should all share the same core infrastructure. And particularly anybody using TypeScript and probably ES6 could benefit from this. Yeah, we just did a show uh, previously on JavaScript fatigue, which is you know, all these new things and there, there's a hundred different tools to tackle the same problem. Uh, so I think there's going to be quite a few people out there that are uh, keen to the idea of having one CLI to rule the, rule them all, so to speak. Yeah. If you, I mean, if you're a desktop developer on windows or Mac, like you're, you're laughing at us right now because these, these are solved problems. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's no reason we can't get there. Sounds good. And I had, um, uh, a quick question on um, the future of Angular 1. So I know um, at the moment you're kind of steering things towards Angular 2, like 
Angular 2 obviously has this more component architecture focus, and then you have directives as well. Um, whereas Angular 1 obviously used to be just dot directive for everything, and now we've introduced the component method. So, uh, and then there's a couple of lifecycle hooks that are kind of making their way in. Um, ng on init is dollar on init now in the, uh, the component method. But is there anything that's also coming that was going to maybe Angular 1.6 or what? How, how far do we kind of see and what can we expect? Yeah, well, we, we do want to move people into Angular 2. And, but we've, we've said, look, we're committed to people who invested with us on Angular 1. And we're not going to drop you on the floor just because we've got a, a new hot thing going on. And so we said, well, we're going to support Angular 1 and continue to making releases on it until the majority of folks have moved to Angular 2. And just to paint the picture, there's like kind of like about 1.3 million developers, we think, on Angular 1 and about 330,000 on Angular 2. And so it's not anywhere near the halfway mark yet. Um, and so what like we're taking on ourselves to make this upgrade path easy and attractive to folks on Angular 1. And at the same time, we know some people may never move certain applications because they're like, well, look, the, li the lifespan of that has got another two or three years, and the upgrade may be not worth it, and so we want those guys to be happy too. Um, but at the same time, we are, we are building towards the future. And so like you said, we have this, this nice upgrade path where you can mix and match components. We've, we've built the component style declarations in Angular 1.5. And then we've just recently released the new, the new router or router, depending on where you, you come from. <laughs> and, uh, and so the, you can use that on both Angular 1 and Angular 2. And so you know, incrementally being able to take on these new, newer, faster, more complete features of Angular 2 inside an Angular 1 application. The, the next two things that we'll see hitting there are the new animation library. Uh, which we probably need a whole show to talk about, but I think it's pretty exciting, a and the new internationalization facility. Yeah, I think the I-18N stuff's um, going to be quite interesting. So that's going to be available as like a, a third-party module, like the HTTP that we can include. That's right. That's exactly awesome. right. Cool. So you're saying we could, we can essentially use... Angular 2 and 1 in the same application. So that provides yeah. like a seamless upgrade path for folks that are on Angular 1 that want to transition where they can just kind of piecemeal in and pick pieces of Angular 2 to get started as they kind of morph their application from one to the other. That's right. That's right. Now, it's it's not free, right? You have to you have to download two uh both frameworks at the same time, and like you know, debugging is a little bit harder when I've got both frameworks going on. So, so it is meant as a bridge and not as something that you rely on forever. That like, ah, I'll just mix it some Angular two and Angular one, and uh, and away I go. But it, it it is a very nice option as as you're thinking of planning an upgrade path uh, to to think about like, well, okay, maybe I can continue my release schedule and not have to interrupt that while I'm transitioning to Angular 2. Yeah, some applications are so large. I mean, if you try to come to an abrupt stop and then try to you know, transition over to something completely different, I mean, you could seriously <laughs> you know, put some lag on your project and uh, miss, yeah. Your, yeah. miss totally your milestones right. and whatnot. So that, that provides you a nice uh, stopgap to, to get from one to the other. I like that. Yeah, I think there's just a big architectural shift because I think 
there was a lot of front-end developers who came to Angular, like um, myself from like a, a website and jQuery background and playing JavaScript applications to, to building Angular, who will, are used to this concept of sort of pages. And then you, you look back like four or five years and you look at all the, 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 um, uh, the, the first kind of wave of Angular apps as, as Angular started to get gain popularity and everything was like huge views and like ng this everywhere and I think nowadays uh, is um, if you're obviously looking at Angular 2 so the 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 restructure is a, is a lot different to be able to get your application in Angular 1 to that position where you can begin upgrading um, Brad's team's tools so um you you can't well I, I guess you can can't you Brad you can you can put ng upgrade and forward uh, into a what what we call a messy Angular one application but to have that base uh, structure in a, a very Angular two style structure um, yeah. would make things a lot easier for people to to adapt. That's right. And one one other thing I'm actually really excited about in Angular two is. We, so unlike Angular 1, where we, it was kind of the Wild West, and you know, we didn't even know what a good, a well-structured application looked like, you know, we, we have worked with a lot of our community to figure this out ahead of time. And we'll be releasing Angular 2 with a style guide. And because a lot more of it is statically analyzable in our templates and if you're using TypeScript, there, there's uh, some community folks who are actually making some of those style guide recommendations as part of a linter. So you, if you've got a big team and you know people are coming on with various levels of knowledge, you can really give them a boost by having this automated tool that you know every time I type and save, you can get linter feedback on I'm doing this not just you know syntactically correct, but uh, but idiomatically correct as well. So it sounds like there's a big, exciting future here for Angular 2, lots of new stuff to learn about. Where's the best place to go find out new information about Angular 2? Well, I think it depends on what style of learning you like to do. We, we've, we've done, all, you know, Angular 1 docs, we always got ribbed for the quality of them, and we've really invested a lot in Angular 2, and we're getting... I think you guys can judge us, but I think they're pretty good. So there's a tutorial that's pretty in-depth that you can go through and learn Angular 2. And we've just started on these sort of cookbook examples. So if you want to, like, I've got problem X. How do I communicate between components or how do I do data-driven forms or, or whatever? You can go look at that in our cookbook session. If you're coming from Angular 1, there's also a nice, in the cookbook, there's a mapping of, I know this in Angular 1. How do I do it in Angular 2? And you can see that that part of the cookbook also. Um, our, our friends at egghead.io have done a very nice job on their videos, and so you can go over there and check those out. But there's, you know, there's, there's, if you like longer form videos, Pluralsight has uh, some, some very nice Angular 2 videos as well. Uh, I think Udemy has a nice course. I've heard some good accolades on, and, and there's others. And then there's, there's in-person in training. Um, our friends at Wrangle and uh, ThoughtRum and a, a bunch of other folks, um, you know, Angular... Uh, I'm, I'm going to forget all of the guys who are, and gals who are good to us in building things. But uh, and then there's a number of books. There's NG Book and you know, Manning has a bunch of publications. Pact has some good Angular 2 publications. And I'm going to throw a shameless plug in there and, and let people know to stop by developer.telerk.com. We have excellent folks like Todd Motto and uh, 
Cody Lindley, uh, always blogging about Angular, Angular 2, JavaScript, and uh, there's plenty of awesome follow resources. Todd. Todd has had a bunch of fantastic articles lately. Thank you, Todd, sir. Oh, well, thank you for the retweets, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you guys both uh, joining me for the podcast today. Really appreciate y'all's time. Um, thanks for joining me. Cool, yeah. As, All right, uh, thanks for having me. Thanks, Brad, and thanks, Ed. And everybody, thanks for listening. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>